This is a Kansas Memory, a Kansas State Historical Society podcast featuring glimpses of Kansas history from documents in the Library and Archives collections. After the Civil War, Congress chartered Howard University in Washington, D.C., in part to provide higher education for freed slaves. The School of Law was added in 1879 and has since graduated many prominent African-American attorneys, including Thurgood Marshall, who went on to become our country's first black Supreme Court Justice. Robert Lee Carter completed his bachelor's degree at Lincoln University in Pennsylvania in 1937 and considered becoming a school teacher, but decided instead to accept a scholarship to the Howard University Law School. He went on to get his master's from Columbia University Law School on the eve of World War II. In the Army Air Force during the war, he challenged their segregation rules and ultimately had to fight for his honorable discharge. After the war, Carter was hired by Thurgood Marshall to work as an assistant counsel for the NAACP. In 1950, the NAACP resolved to challenge the injustice of segregation head-on instead of fighting for the separate but equal facilities which were allowed under the Supreme Court's 1896 decision, Plessy v. Ferguson. Carter and the NAACP legal team were working on a series of public school cases that debated segregation. A case that was organized by the Topeka NAACP, Oliver Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, was heard by the U.S. District Court in Topeka in 1951. Carter, working with Topeka attorneys John and Charles Scott and Charles Bledsoe, stressed that segregated schools were inherently damaging to black children, even though the schools and faculty were essentially equal. These are selections from an interview with Robert Carter that was recorded by Gene Vandelinder in 1992. Unfortunately, the quality of the recording is poor, but a transcript of the complete interview is available on Kansas Memory. In 1950, the NAACP convention, and I think this occurred, really sure that my con the contact with me from Topeka came after that. Resolution was passed announcing that the organization would only take cases in which the elimination of segregation was the subject. I'm going to take any cases of equalization of school facilities. It was an announcement for, of general policy. So uh, the branches at that point began, well, I noticed they began looking for cases in which you were attacking uh, segregation. Yes. Bledsoe got in touch with me. I came out, went out there, and well, met the Bledsoe and Scott and the Scott brothers, I think it was mm -hmm. um, Went from the district court in Kansas at that point, because it was three judges, directly to the Supreme Court of the United States. <coughs> And it went to, got to the Supreme Court of the United States in, in 1952. And the case from South Carolina had a lower number. We argued the case together, and then the Supreme Court sent it back for the argument. Uh, 
for some reason, I don't understand, I don't know which, uh, the case in South Carolina was more delayed for some reason in getting back being filed on, on the reargument. And in that matter, we got the number, the Brown case became the leading case. And that's why the cases were named Brown. The Topeka case was combined with four other school desegregation cases when it was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was the only case of the five where the quality of the education the children were receiving was not the issue. The Topeka Board of Education chose not to appear at the national level and in fact had already voted to integrate the Topeka schools. Assistant Kansas Attorney General Paul E. Wilson reluctantly argued the state's case. Robert Carter and Charles Scott represented the NAACP. The Supreme Court's May 17, 1954 decision made segregated schools unconstitutional. The difference between us had been that uh, I think this was, was uh, uh, Mr. Wilson's first case. It was not the first case before the Supreme Court. Uh, is it, the, the stakes were personally enormous. Um, that period of time we were working for the NAACP as a black person. You were, in fact, plus you were working for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it not like working for some client and so forth. You do, you're doing this for yourself. You're doing it. So it was, I, I'm, I'm sure it had enormous implications beyond those that, that it was for, for Mr. Wilson just winning a case or losing a case. Uh, the word isn't overwhelmed, but I certainly felt that this was a very, very important uh, fate and the faith the faith of black people in this country. The point was, I didn't think we could lose because we had nothing to lose. Uh, separate but equal was on the ballot, and that's the best they could do. They couldn't get it and make it any worse. So that... Uh, there was nothing to lose. Um, and, you know, we sort of figured that in view of the state of the world at the time, and the United States' role and you know, democracy, and we just fought a war um, um, for the Nazis and their, their racial uh, thesis, it seemed to us, it was, uh, it seemed at least, that the United States couldn't come out, the Supreme Court could not come out and, and say that you can treat black, the segregation is, is still appropriate. I just didn't see that. Then, we were helped a great deal by the decision in, in, uh, in the Brown case from Kansas, because the... Uh, judge who wrote the case, who wrote the, wrote the opinion from that if you hadn't, the Supreme Court, if you hadn't decided by, uh, the separate but equal doctrine, Pesley versus Ferguson, we were, we were fine for the plaintiff. So we, we thought that that was next to, to a victory, uh, you know, below. But, you, you know, you feel this way, but always in the case you feel, well, you can't win until what you know. You know you, you know you can, mm-hmm. you can lose. You know that. 
but as I said, I <clears throat> I've never accepted the the thesis that some people have that oh you can't do this because of the fact of what you're going to lose. But in the state of in which we're in, there's nothing we could lose. Mm-hmm. So you know, nothing. God couldn't do it. Didn't do any, couldn't make anything any worse. We just either the status quo. We where we are. We haven't gained anything. But we haven't lost it all. <laughs> yeah. uh, you were talking about the uh, that schools are more segregated now than they were. I think that I think they're more segregated now, and, and I think that the uh, and the inner city schools are uh, you know the deprivations are in terms of the of the physical ac- access mm-hmm. these kids have to the the technology that's available in schools that are not predominantly black, the differences are just appalling. What I do think that, um, and I've said this before in an earlier Michigan Law Review, um, fallout from Brown has been what has, if if we ever were, we never are again going to be the the submissive uh, taking Taking it with a, with you know, with doing uh, things quietly and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, one thing that strikes me is the as the distinction. Even though for Brown, like in public accommodations, mm-hmm. um, going to a restaurant in New York and you have a, a law that doesn't allow discrimination and you would be discriminated day after Brown was decided, that same group of middle-class blacks would go to a restaurant in New York and they, they would feel they'd been discriminated against, they would raise hell. And as I said, I, you know, my years with the NAACP were, were special because it's, it's very it's very difficult and unusual, I believe, for one to be able to work on something that you you like and have the freedom that I had at the time when I was with the association. Mm-hmm. Uh, the freedom to, to uh, uh, develop my own ideas and create and operate creatively and, ex- and expand intellectually, and at the same time have the sense I'm working for myself. Mm-hmm. That kind of satisfaction uh, is rare. It was, I had a unique experience. Robert Carter continued to work on civil rights cases for the NAACP until 1968. In 1972, he was appointed as a federal judge for the Southern District of New York by President Nixon. Among his achievements, he was a co-founder of the National Conference of Black Lawyers. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1995 and the Thurgood Marshall Lifetime Achievement Award in 2004, the 50th anniversary of the Brown decision. Carter published his autobiography, A Matter of Law, a memoir of struggle in the cause of equal rights, in 2005. This has been a Kansas Memory, a Kansas Historical Society podcast. The documents used in this podcast are from Kansas Memory, 
a virtual repository of primary sources from our collections. The URL for this website is www.kansasmemory.org.